Learning things by heart used to be a mainstay of language education, but is now often frowned upon. Is learning things by heart good for improving your Chinese, or is it just a waste of time? Hello and welcome to the Hacking Chinese podcast. In this week's episode, we are going to talk about memorization and learning things by heart. Depending on your background, you might have a different experience with learning things by heart in school and when learning languages compared to me and to other listeners. But I will do my best to capture all listeners with different types of backgrounds. The question I want to discuss today is whether or not it's useful to learn things by heart, and how much this will help you learn Chinese, and if so, what things you might consider learning by heart. My opinion on the topic has changed quite a lot from when I started learning Chinese until today, and that is also what I want to talk about. But that requires a little bit of background. When I learned languages in school, and this includes my native Swedish, we weren't required to memorize hardly anything at all. And I mean this quite literally. In Swedish, for example, we were not required to be able to recite poems or other famous works of literature or even famous quotes. And in other subjects, such as English or other foreign languages, we were not required to be able to say quote the textbook, or we didn't learn things by heart, and we weren't assessed by being able to say reproduce a text of any kind. Naturally, we were required to be able to use the language to express things or understand things, but we have a rather communicative curriculum in Sweden, and it's even more like that today compared to when I went to school. So, if we were to take a very concrete example, let's say we have an exam with a fill-in-the-gap exercise, and I'm not discussing the merits of fill-in-the-gap exercises as an assessment of language ability here. We definitely did those, so I'm using that as an example. We were required to write something that fit in the language, something that made sense based on context and based on the language itself, and something that worked grammatically. And then we were given points. If you wrote something that wasn't in the textbook but which worked anyway, you would get points for that, and it does convey the same meaning and it works in context. So why not? And this is focusing on the function of the language. You want to be able to express something, and if you can do that, you get points. And if you are unable to, you don't get points. So, in other words, we were required to learn the meaning of words and how to apply grammar, but we were not required to say recite a grammar rule from the textbook or give the definition of a word verbatim. This is not how language learning works everywhere, however. So let's look at a counterexample in China and East Asia in general. And just as a caveat here, I know that everybody in Sweden doesn't learn or teach languages the same way, even though we have the same curriculum. And I also know that China is a big place where people learn languages in different ways. So I'm looking at typical examples here and trying to highlight a difference. I'm not saying that one way of doing things is strictly better than other ways of doing the same thing, because this all depends on what your goals are, and there might be both pros and cons with both approaches. I will return to this discussion of whether this is applicable to your learning Chinese, but let's look at some examples from East Asia first. So, when it comes to education in general, learning things by heart is much more important in China than it is in Sweden. It's not unusual to meet Chinese people who can quote large amounts of poetry and have certain phrases memorized to describe certain things that they learned in school, even though it was maybe twenty years ago. 
And of course, Chinese kids still memorize large amounts of text in class. And sometimes this is done by rote, i.e. without really understanding what it means. So this could be with classical Chinese before they have a good grasp of it. But sometimes it's also just memorizing things that are nice, good, or are supposed to teach something useful. This is also true when learning and teaching foreign languages, including English of course, or if you have a very traditionally minded Chinese teacher, you might have encountered this in your Chinese studies already. So we have a contrast here between learning something by heart, which is then a specific instance of the language, and then of course the end goal should be that you can then use that in other contexts. Or you don't learn a specific instance and you only study the general so that you can then learn to apply it in the specific case. To make this difference as clear as possible, let's return to my example with close deletion or a fill in the gaps exercise, where you have a text with certain words removed and on the test you're supposed to fill in these gaps. As I said, if your focus is on using the language in general and being able to communicate and so on, then the teacher will accept words that work syntactically and semantically, so they fit with the grammar and they also mean something that makes sense in this context. If we look at the different approach, the learning by heart or learning the specific instance of the language, this might not be the case. So if there is a specific word in a textbook and you use a different word even though it works, you will not get any points for that. You're supposed to reproduce the exact text in the textbook. To give you a real world example, I have encountered a Chinese teacher who applies this approach to teaching Chinese to foreigners. So on her tests you were supposed to fill in the blanks, and that matches what my other teachers were doing and that's not strange in itself. What was strange however, and what I also found quite ludicrous at the time, to be honest, was that we were also supposed to memorize facts from the text. So for example, there could be a gap which said something like, this person wears a hmm shirt. And if this was focusing on colors, I don't remember the concrete example here, the answer could have been blue, red, green, or whatever, because based on context, any color of this shirt worked. But to get points for this question, you had to remember which color the shirt in the textbook had, and it wasn't then enough to just fill in something that worked in this context. Another example, which I've only observed indirectly, is to have a test where you remove numbers. So in this case it was a distance between two points, and you simply had to remember how many kilometers there were between two cities in the textbook, otherwise you didn't get points. It didn't matter that you knew all the relevant Chinese and could say all the distances involved, you had to remember the exact distance that was in the text. In general, if you want to check if something is based on a high language proficiency or knowledge of a specific instance of the language, such as a text in a textbook, you can always do the native speaker test. That is, if you take a native speaker or a highly proficient second language learner and put them through the test, how well will they do? It goes without saying that a Chinese person would breeze through an intermediate fill-in-the-gaps exercise, assuming that reasonable answers are accepted. Now it's equally obvious that the native speaker would fail the test if it tested specific instances of the language, because there is no way to know if the shirt is red or blue or yellow or some other color, or indeed the distance between two cities. You have to have memorized or learned this text in question to know that. 
I'm not saying that any test question that a native speaker would fail is bad, far from it, but I am saying that if there is a test and a native speaker would fail it, there needs to be a pretty good reason for testing this type of information. Maybe it could be that the curriculum is about more than just communication. For example, it could include some explicit knowledge about the language, such as about how characters evolved or Chinese pronunciation or things like that. And this type of explicit knowledge is not necessarily something that a native speaker would possess. But in general, if you are a teacher, think carefully before you introduce too many questions that a native speaker would fail. Okay, so now that we have defined the endpoints of our spectrum, it's time to discuss what this means for us as learners of Chinese. And so the reason I want to talk about this topic today is because I think that learning things by heart can be quite useful. When I started learning Chinese at university, I was of the opinion that learning things by heart was largely useless and a complete waste of time. I didn't like it, I didn't think it was useful, I found it boring, and so on. I saw almost zero merit in doing so. Now, however, I've changed my mind. I think there are several things that you should definitely consider learning by heart, and I think there are lots of advantages with memorizing certain things in Chinese. Like I said, if you come from a background where it's natural to learn things by heart, you might think that I'm saying things that are completely obvious, but I can tell you that for me, if I had listened to my own episode 15 years ago, I would have been a little bit shocked, I think. And my goal today is therefore at least partly to convince other people who think like I did that there is some merit in learning things by heart. Do I think it's a good idea to test if students remember if the shirt is red, yellow, or blue? Or do I think it's good to require them to know the distance between the two cities mentioned in the textbook in a language class? No, of course not. But I do think that refusing to learn anything by heart is a mistake. So when I say learning by heart here, I mean that you learn something exactly as it is written or said to the point where you could recite it. I'm not saying you have to actually recite it or you have to require students to do that, but you should know something to the point where you could do that. Let's have a look at five things that students sometimes memorize, and this could be in China or in other parts of the world, and then we will discuss if these are useful or not. Because naturally, the usefulness of learning something by heart depends on what that something is and what the purpose of learning it is. So first, you could memorize the exact definition of a word, as written in your textbook, for example. Or you could memorize a collocation, so a combination of words that occur frequently together. Or you could memorize a phrase or a sentence. Or you could memorize a grammar rule, also maybe from your textbook. Or you could memorize a longer chunk of text, maybe a poem, maybe a song, maybe something else. There are many students who memorize these things, and there are many teachers who require their students to memorize some of these things. So which of these are useful for learning Chinese then? And I'm not talking about your specific course. If your teacher requires you to do something, then to succeed with your course, you need to do what they require. But I'm talking about the general picture here. What's good for language learning? There is a rule here I think you can apply in almost all cases, and that is that if the thing you're considering learning by heart is in Chinese, it is okay. If it's better than okay depends on the situation, but I don't think there's much harm in memorizing anything as long as it is in Chinese. And this kind of rules out number one and number five in the list. So if you're learning, say, the definitions of words in Chinese, but the definition is in English from your textbook, I would consider this a waste of time. 
And also if you're memorizing grammar rules, I don't think that's very useful either. But the other items on the list can be quite useful, so let's have a closer look. Bear in mind that when we go through this list, I simply say that these activities can be useful. I'm not saying that they are the most useful thing you can do and you should from now on start trying to learn everything by heart. I'm just saying that these things are at least worth considering. So the first one is to memorize a phrase to learn a sentence pattern. And a sentence pattern is something rather abstract and can be difficult to learn, especially then if you try to learn it in English. So you learn, say, a description of a grammar rule in English. That is very far removed from the actual language and it will take a lot of effort to convert that into any kind of practical ability. So an example of this is to memorize a sentence instead of memorizing an abstract pattern. So instead of memorizing something like 即使 A, 也必, you could commit a sentence to memory that uses this pattern and also shows how it is actually used. So for example, you could memorize 即使明天下雨,我们也要去. This does not only show how the grammatical pattern is used, but it's also much easier to remember than an abstract representation. For all these things I'm mentioning now, there are articles on Hacking Chinese already that discuss them in a wider sense. So for example, there is an article about how to learn grammar, and I'll put links to this in the description. The second example is to memorize a phrase to remember how a tricky word is used. And normally when you learn some words, you don't need to think that much about how they are used. It's okay to just learn the basic meaning. So for example, 桌子, table, is used largely the same way in Chinese as it is in English. However, other words might have less straightforward usages, and then instead of trying to remember these separately out of context, you try to memorize a sentence where they are used in this particular way. And again here, I've written about this before, there is an article called Should you focus on learning Chinese words or phrases, where I discuss the merits of focusing on one or the other and when you should do what. Next up is an extension of the tricky words case we just discussed, and this is when you are learning Chongyu or other idioms. These often have a very specific usage, and they are not used as the English translation implies. And the example I usually bring up is 十全十美, which simply had the definition of perfect in my textbook, and I think I used this Chongyu incorrectly maybe 20 times before I sorted out how it was actually used. And this is also something I've discussed before, so see the show notes for references to that article. The point here is that memorizing a typical case when this Chongyu is used correctly is much preferable to learning only the Chongyu. You can also memorize sentences for words that are not tricky on their own, but are difficult because they are similar to each other, so near synonyms in other words. You can then try to construct a sentence where they are both used, and that also contrasts the difference between the two. So to take a beginner-friendly example, if we have the words er and liang, many students struggle to keep these straight, and one is used as an ordinal number, that's er, and the other is used as a cardinal number, liang. So to keep this distinct, you could memorize a sentence like the and now this might be overkill, I'm just using this as an example. If you have more tricky synonyms, you can maybe try to find an example where they're used together, or you can ask someone else to construct one for you. If it's above your level or at your level, it might be difficult to come up with a sentence where they are contrasted in a nice way. Another example of when memorizing a phrase can be useful is to master large numbers in Chinese. 
I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's a good example of something that you can know theoretically, but which takes a lot of time to get used to. So for the uninitiated, Chinese changes words every fourth zero, whereas English changes every third zero. So we have a word for a thousand, and then we count the number of thousands, so we have ten thousand, a hundred thousand, but then we don't say a thousand thousand, we say a million, so we change word every third zero. In Chinese, of course, we don't do that, we change every fourth zero. So first we have a new number that we count, which is one. So we count the number of ten thousand, not the number of thousands, as we do in English. That means we have shiwan, which would be a hundred thousand, but then we don't say million, there is no new word for million. That's yibai, one, so that's a hundred ten thousand, and then we get to yitian one, which would be a thousand ten thousand, which would be ten million, and only then, when we get to ten thousand ten thousand, i.e. a hundred million, do we change to a new word. Now, the problem here is not to, in theory, understand how this works, it's pretty simple. The problem is to connect it to reality using real-world examples. And the best way I've come up to do this is to use specific phrases. So you learn yiwan or shiwan or yibaiwan in a specific context, so you know that this thing is shiwan, and then you can extrapolate from that and use the words in other contexts. This is something I described in more detail in an article called Do you really know how to count in Chinese? And as usual, I'll put links in the show notes. The reason I mention it here, though, is because it's a good example of where learning a phrase by heart can make it easier to come to grips with these large numbers in Chinese and how they are used. Next up, you can also memorize longer passages, such as songs, poems, or other types of texts, which will give you certain cultural access and also a lot of language along the way. As I mentioned earlier, Chinese people learn a lot of things by heart in school and are often able to quote these things even in adult age. And this is very, very hard to replicate as a foreign adult, and I think most people don't even want to, and it would take a very long time if you tried. But doing this occasionally can be fun, not just to understand what it's like, but also, like I said, to get some extra cultural access, and it's quite cool to be able to quote Confucius or something like that occasionally. Just as an experiment to see what it was like and what I would learn from the experience, I once memorized half of Tao Te Ching in Chinese, and again, I've written about this before, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Just to be clear here, just because students in school spend a lot of time memorizing things in classical Chinese, that doesn't mean you have to do that, you can memorize things in modern Chinese as well, it doesn't have to be Tao Te Ching or Confucius. My final example is maybe one you use already even though you haven't thought about it as learning by heart, and that is the lyrics to songs you like. Naturally, memorizing song lyrics if you like the song can be rather enjoyable, and most people do this without even trying. Most of the lyrics I know in any language I don't know because I wanted to study them for language learning purposes was just because I like the songs and then listening to them over and over eventually you will learn the lyrics. Sometimes, of course, when it's in a foreign language, and maybe especially Chinese, it can be useful to look lyrics up and see if you've missed anything or fill in any blanks you might have had. But the point here is that you learn the songs by listening to them over and over. This is almost exactly like memorizing poetry, except it's easier and for most people also more enjoyable. Be aware though, when it comes to art, including lyrics and poetry, the language is often deliberately creative, so just because someone sings something doesn't mean that most people usually say it that way. 
Okay, so those were a few things I think can be worthwhile memorizing in Chinese. And like I said earlier, all of these things are in Chinese. And as long as you're memorizing something in the target language, it can be quite useful. And if you, say, memorized a song or a text passage or just a sentence, you can then rely on your knowledge of the grammar and vocabulary in this text, and you are sure that these are good examples, and then you can rely on those when you want to speak or write yourself. So assuming that I've convinced those of you who are like I were 15 years ago, and you now want to try out some memorization and learning by heart, where should you start? How should you do this? I think more specific techniques for memorizing especially longer texts will have to wait for another episode, but do let me know if this is something you want me to dig deeper into. But at least we can say a few things that apply to learning in general, and certainly to committing larger chunks of text to memory as well. So the first is to do active recall, and that means that you should not see the answer as it were. And that means you have to try to remember things without seeing the text in front of you. Simply reading a text over and over is a very, very bad method for trying to remember the text. And you can also say then that listening to a song over and over is actually not a good way of learning the lyrics of the song either. The only reason it works is because it's so enjoyable that people put up with listening to it a hundred or a thousand times. But most students won't do that with poetry or other passages from their textbook and so on. It's not enjoyable enough to do that much, and then mindless repetition just doesn't work very well. So you need to try to remember the text. You look only when you forget something, you try to recite as much as you can, you look again, and gradually you will be able to look less and less. You can even test yourself with close deletion or cover up parts of the text and so on. But like I said, this will be the focus of a separate article and podcast episode if there is interest. The second principle that usually applies is spaced repetition. So if you want to learn something long term, make sure you spread out your reviews. Don't read the text a hundred times in a row, spread it out as much as you can, read it when you wake up, read it at lunch, read it before you go to bed, and so on. And keep doing that. Spreading it out over time will make it much easier to remember in the long term. That means we have come to the end of this episode. I would be very interested in hearing what your experience with memorizing and learning things by heart is for language learning purposes. What is it like in your country? What was it like when you learned English, when you learned Chinese in school maybe, when you learned other languages? And what is it like for you now when you learn Chinese? Have you learned anything by heart? Has your teacher required you to do that and have they even tested you on it? Or is it a more communicative approach? Regardless of which, do head over to Hacking Chinese and let me know in a comment. Thank you for tuning in to the Hacking Chinese podcast. If you like this episode, please share it. More information and inspiration about learning and teaching Chinese can be found at hackingchinese.com. See you in the next episode, and until then, good luck with your studies.